Father, we, we thank you. We thank you and praise you that your mercies are new every morning. That as we woke this morning and the sun was up, or as we woke this morning and watched the sun come up, Lord, we are reminded that in the same way, Lord, that you, you bring your mercies and your goodness. We thank you that we've seen that, Lord, throughout the, the history, we've seen that throughout, really, particularly the history you've shown us, you've revealed yourself through your word. And, and, and we thank you, Lord, that, that one of those aspects of goodness is that, that we who were once not a people, we who were excluded from your people, we who were dead in our trespasses and sins, alienated from you, Lord, you have reconciled us to yourself and to your church, the saving work of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you would help us to see the implications of what that means. And and what that means is now we are are part of your body. We are part of your building, your temple. We are part of your people, Lord. We are part of your family. And help us to see what that would be as we live that out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we, two weeks ago, we had the the prayer meeting last week when I was gone, but two weeks ago we started really, uh, well, this whole time we've been talking about the church, right? And particularly I've been focusing on this, this, this idea of membership and not as a class, like the membership class, but really this idea of what is our relationship with the church? And when we talk about the church, we're not talking about a building, not a place, but a a people, right? What does it look like our relationship with the people of God? Right? Is this, 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 this covenantal relationship, this formal relationship with this assembled people. So, and we asked, so we started asking that question, what, what do members do? What does it mean to be a member of the church? What does it look like to live that out in my responsibilities to one another? And, and, and last time we met, we talked through what really a biblical theology, biblical theology, this idea of how does the whole story fit together, right? Where does this, this fit in the whole story of scripture? Not just a singular verse, not just a, a, um, just a, a proof text, but really seeing how the whole story of scripture fits together. And what does the Bible as a whole say about God and his authority and how God delegates and designates his authority, right? And, and we see that, I said, that's, I think, the best place to start and start of saying, here is my text that I revolve my system of church around. And well, here's my text that I revolve my system of church around. Let's look at the Bible as a whole and thinking through how does God speak about this aspect of what he's doing through his people. Not a system versus system approach, but really looking at at, at this whole biblical storyline. And so then we can start to ask the question of how does God work authoritatively through his people, particularly now in the New Testament church? But we had to back up. We started in Genesis 1, right? Genesis 1 showing us that all authority is God's. God has all authority, but God made man in his image and designates authority to them, right? As his vice kings or vice queens, that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God, that they're to represent God, they're to image God, re-present, re-image God, right? And that in that, they, had, they were to be, a, a, they were to be really this description we see throughout the Old Testament, they are priest kings. Adam and Eve were made as priest kings. They are kings in the sense of having an outward activity. They had an outward activity of working and ruling over the garden to spread the glory of God, right? Be fruitful, multiply, cultivate, spread the glory of God over the earth. 
And they had a priestly duty, not just outward, but now priestly inward. They're to, they're to watch over the garden. They're to cultivate and guard the garden to preserve the holiness of God's work, outward work, inward work. And we saw that Adam and Eve fell. And the same commission that was given to Adam is reapplied then to Noah in Genesis 9, similar language. But then Noah also failed and fell. And so in Genesis 12, God called Abram and and, and he made promises to him as this new type of Adam. And through Abraham, Israel then becomes a nation of these priest kings. You look at Exodus 19 and talking about Israel now is like these priest kings. And then David and the kings is like a head representative of the nation. But then Israel and the kings then failed and they're sent into exile. But God had made that promise to Abraham and he was going to fulfill that promise to Abraham. He was going to bring about this nation to, to, and, and this people to do his work as priest kings. And so in Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31, we looked at this promise of the new covenant. That Israel failed, but the promise to Abraham still stood. But he's going to do that through this new covenant. There's going to be a new heart in all of God's people. And we saw in Ezekiel especially, when when God does this new covenant, it's like a restoration of Eden. There's this Edenic language where there's going to be these new Adams and Eve, these new priest kings. And then we saw in Jeremiah 31 that every participant in this new covenant would know God. They don't need anyone to teach them. Now, that's not to say that members of the new covenant, we have nothing to learn, right? God saved you, you know everything. No, I'm glad I heard no amens, right? (laughs) We do have much to learn. So what does that mean that we need no one to teach us in Jeremiah 31? We don't need a mediator. We don't need a mediator as a priest between us and God anymore. We don't need a mediator as a king between us and God anymore. We have that relationship with God who know God through the new covenant, through the spirit. And so every member of the new covenant is like Adam in that way, with authority as a priest king. We don't need a representative head. We, we have it in Christ, but in the sense of in Christ, we don't need an earthly king or priest. We, 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 we identify with God through Christ. We don't need a, another, some, some human mediator like a priest or a king that, that through Christ, we become mediators of that covenant to one another. Right? We don't need a new king over us, an earthly king, because the new covenant people, we have God's law on our hearts. And through the spirit, we can witness and spread the glory of God. It's not the king's role to spread the glory of God. It's each individual member of the new covenant to spread the glory of God. And so then we see in the gospels that Jesus comes and he fulfills the promise of Abraham. He succeeds where Adam and Israel failed. And we see that he is the king of kings and the great high priest. And then you have this language that when Jesus, in his resurrection, he became the firstborn of many brethren, those that would be his people, those that would be like him and with him. And then Jesus ascends to heaven, and in Acts 2, every believer then receives his promised Holy Spirit. Every believer has the promise of the prophets. Every believer has the sign of the new covenant, right? What is the sign that you are a member of the new covenant? You have the Holy Spirit, right? That's the fulfillment that, 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 that Peter says in Acts, saying that everyone, young and old and slave and free, they, they have, this is the picture of the fulfillment of Joel and the prophets, that, that they have the Spirit. They are members of the new covenant. The, 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 this is God's work that's been waited for. 
And then we see Peter sum this up. Turn there, because we're going to jump off from there this week. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, the people of God, right? A royal priesthood, right? That's, that's picking up that language that we see that's echoed throughout, throughout Scripture, right? That the, that, the, that the people of God now are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, So here's the recap of where we left it uh, two weeks ago. Every believer, every church member has authority as God's priest kings. There is an authority not given to just one member of the body or just one head of the body. This was was huge in the Reformation, right? In the Reformation, there is this idea that there's not a division between spiritual classes, right? Here's the clergy class. They're the ones, they're the new mediators, they're the new priests, they're the new kings. You need, to, you need them really to get to God, right, in the Roman Catholic Church. And here's everybody else, kind of like Old Testament Israel, have these different classes of spiritual classes. There is no division, right? That, that, um, that there's no mediators needed besides the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit. That every believer is called to do the work of God. Every believer has given the authority through the working of God's spirit to, to do the work as, as priest kings. That we're all members of the same class. We are all a royal priesthood, right? If you are a believer, we are all called to represent God. Not just one. Not just the pastor. Not just the, 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 you know, the head of some, some denomination. We are all called to represent God. We are all called to do the external work that kingly work of expanding God's kingdom, of bringing God's glory, extending that. We are all called to do the internal work of guarding the holiness of God's church. That's a priestly work, right? That's not just, a, that's not just for a subset of Christians, but we're all called that. Let me, let me finish just one thing and then we'll, we'll, we'll do questions. And so, I, well, actually, let me, let me stop there. Go ahead, go ahead, Ron. How does the Catholic Church with the Pope Mm-hmm. And all the bishops deal with this. Yeah, it's a problem. And that's why Luther, would point, Luther and the Reformation pointed out that's a problem, saying well, you're setting yourselves up in a way that like this Old Testament model where you come to the, the, the Pope, you come to the priest, because they're the ones who are mediating between you and God, just like in the Old Testament, and you see this. But the promise of the new covenant is that you don't need that anymore, that Jesus is our mediator, and all of us have access to God through him. So yeah, that's, that's a huge problem. Yeah. It's interesting, and also, wasn't this during the time when Nero was violently persecuting Christians? Yes. That this letter comes out. Yeah, likely, yeah, very, very late. strongly about us representing Christ. Yeah. To me, it's fascinating that if I were in that situation, hearing yeah. this message, yeah. what would it mean to Yeah, me? <laughs> and there's some that would almost sense this, there's this language that you'd sense in some of these epistles there and some of the later Pauline ones of almost a... It's not, a, it's not like Paul or Peter are writing saying, all of this is, a, is anti-Nero, right? Yeah. But they're also writing in a sense of, Nero's really not the royalty here. Right. Nero really doesn't have the true authority here. The church does. And so, which is interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's not rebelling. It's not, because the same, you know, Paul would write those sort of things, and he'd also write Romans 12, but, but there's, a, there's a tension there. There's a balance there in the sense of we do submit to the governing authorities. It's not rebellion, but we also at the same time recognize you're not really in charge. You're not really going to bring about utopia. That's not going to happen through you, you know? And so there, there's, a, there's a perspective that's, that's, that, that you can have, so, yeah. Other thoughts, questions that we are kind of summing up where we've, where we've been, this whole biblical storyline? That was a good summary. Thank you. Yeah, I did about, what, 10, 12 minutes versus 45, whatever, last time? Uh, but, and really, the point is this point is that, that the new covenant means that we are all called to do this. There is, is not separation. Luther and the reformers are right, not just from one text, but from the whole biblical storyline of where God is working. God is working towards that every believer is empowered with his spirit to, to, to do his, his kingdom ministry. It's not for a select group of super spiritual people or missionaries or, or pastors. It's for every one of us, right? That's who has the, the kingdom authority. So now let's turn to this week. If every believer has that given kingdom authority, we have to ask the question, authority to do what? It sounds good. Okay, we all have authority. Good. When it comes to actually making decisions and figuring things out, how does that work? Right? What sort of kingly and priestly responsibilities do we see in the New Testament? If this storyline, if I'm describing this right, we should see what I'm describing, not just from the the full picture, but as it plays out in the New Testament church as well. That's what we're going to ask this week. Do we see that actually playing out in the New Testament church? And as we see that play out, how do we start to put together this picture of what is the job description of a church member? What's my job description? What's your job description as we are involved in God's local church? What has God given us the authority and the responsibilities to do? And then we're going to eventually get to, I'm going to give you some hints this week where I think scripture puts this together. I think, I really see it, scripture put it together. But how does that relate then to specific leadership? There's an authority for everybody, and God actually does prescribe leadership. So how does that work? I mean, you're, we're going to see some hints. I just can't avoid it in looking through these things this week. But we're going to focus mostly on putting those two puzzle pieces together uh, in, in two weeks after you guys watch the video next week. All right. So let's look at this. Biblical functions. Now, I want to disclaimer here. We're going to cover a lot of texts that we've spent a lot of time in before. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to recap it all though because here's what I want to do. I want to show you how we've talked about these issues. We should have a good feeling for those texts. And now when we step back and we start putting the puzzle pieces together, it's like, oh yeah, this really does fit. That's why I hope is going to happen. I hope. Let's give it a try here. Huh? All right. So let's, let me ask this first. Don't look at your page for a second. Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> If we talk about this kingly ministry, every believer has a responsibility to extend the kingdom of God, to bring, to bring about the glory of God outwardly, outwardly, this outward expansion of God being known and God being glorified. That's, if, I'm saying that's what the biblical storyline is pushing us toward. Let me ask you the question. Do we see that as an every member authority and responsibility in the New Testament? Yes. Where? Yeah, Susan, Harold, uh, Matthew 28. Let's go Matthew 28. Yeah. And this, again, this is where we, we've been here before. We looked at this point, but now we're putting the piece together with this whole storyline, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, great commission. Jesus said to them, all authority, interesting here, get, 
all the authority has in heaven and earth has been given to me, right? Genesis 1 language. Jesus, Jesus is, is speaking Genesis 1 language. The creator that has all authority, Jesus is saying, that's me, by the way. Go. He's giving then authority out. Go. You have a work to do with that authority. Therefore, baptize and make, uh, therefore uh, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Who's Jesus talking to here? I know we've talked about this before. Just recap. Who's he talking to? Primarily, who's he talking to here in context? The disciples. Now, can we apply this to us? Why can we apply this to us? We are disciples, but there are certain things I think promised to the disciples that sometimes aren't promised to us, right? So how do we know this one is promised beyond the disciples to us as well? Because he's saying make disciples of them. He is. So he's saying to make more disciples, but how do we know that promise and that commission is extended beyond the lifetime of just those disciples? All nations. Yes, all nations and to the end of the age. There's a continuous work, a continuous work that's going to be done until the return of Christ. Right? And so we see that this is, yes, is for us. For every believer is given this authority to do this work, to make disciples, right? The verb is make disciples. Closely tied to that is this going. And how do you make disciples? By baptizing and teaching. Now let's think for a second. What does baptizing and teaching represent? Right? Who do you baptize? New converts. Um, how, do you, how do you know they're a new convert? What brings conversion? Um, accepting. Yeah, you're going. Accepting what? Christ. Christ. The gospel of Christ, right? So baptizing represents, we are, we are acknowledging and we are bringing about and we know the gospel to be able to share the gospel, to be able to say, you know what? I've shared the gospel with Dave and he actually does understand the gospel. So we're going to baptize him. There's an authority here over the gospel, knowing the gospel, declaring the gospel, recognizing, oh yes, you are believing the gospel, or no, I'm not going to baptize you because that's not what I said and that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not the gospel, right? There's, a, there's, there's an understanding here. Te- what is teaching? What are, what are you teaching? You're teaching the gospel. You're teaching the, the, the indicatives that come from the gospel, the imperatives that come from the gospel, right? The truths that come of who Christ is, the, the, what that means as we live out our lives is, is following his lordship, right? All of this comes back to that text we spent a lot of time in Matthew 16, remember? He says to Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter gives the right gospel confession, profession. He is, has the right profession. So, th- so we have the authority to know that right profession, to know the gospel, to share the gospel, to teach the gospel, and to recognize what is the right gospel. That's given to the church. That's not just saying, I hope my pastors know what, what, what the right gospel is and what not. I hope someone else does. I, that's why we got elders. <laughs> no. It is a responsibility for every believer to know the gospel, to spread the gospel, to, 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 to know what the true gospel is, right? Here's another text that you can see that. We won't turn there. I preached on it you know, just several weeks, so that's why we're not going to turn. Acts 8, right? In Acts 8, the, the apostles are still in Jerusalem. Everybody else got scattered. And it says that they went about preaching or gospelizing, sharing the gospel everywhere. Well, who was doing that? 
Not the apostles. I mean, I'm sure the apostles were. But, but in the particular situation of everywhere, it was the church. They understood this commission to mean every believer has this authority to do this, right? You don't have to ask your pastor, man, I want to share the gospel with my neighbor. You know, can you come over? I need a pastor to do this. I need a, I need, now, that's not to say we don't work together, right? That's not to say that sometimes there's things and going, you know what, I'm sharing with this person, it's tough, and I just, I, I just haven't, we're just not seeing eye to eye, I don't understand what I'm saying. Dave, can you come over? Let's all go out to lunch together, and we're all going to talk, and I'd love to meet you and have this. We, we want to do those things, right? There's giftedness in the body, but we don't have to have authority to do that. Every person has been given and delegated that authority to, to, to do that. Right? There's no division between professional evangelists and the rest of the tagalongs in the church. We are all given the authority to declare that gospel. Right? But there's something that goes along with that. There's another verse that, another idea that gets tagged with that: the authority of knowing the gospel and, and recognize the gospel of of really this authority of responsible for the what of the gospel. We should know the what of the gospel. We should declare the what of the gospel, and we're going to see we should protect. The what of the gospel as an every member ministry. What Look at mean to like 2 Corinthians 5:20. Ambassadors, ambassador, ambassador language. Oh yeah, God. yeah. That's another another key text there. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, but that ambassadorial language. Yeah, you yeah. definitely see that. Where Paul's saying that that's him, but that's also the, the whole church, right? Yeah. yeah. Turn to Galatians one. So here we see. Again, we're going to see this is this is we're going to see this in every member ministry of of being responsible for the what the content of the gospel. But this time, it's not just that they're sharing it, but they are they, they should know it well enough to guard it, to protect it. Right? Look at Galatians. If you start at the very beginning, really in verse two, who is this letter written to? The churches in Galatia, right? Unlike Philippians, where there's a distinction of, you know, really, you know, to the elders and the leadership, this is written to the whole church. We see that these are written to, to, to the, all the believers that make up those churches in Galatia. And, and, and what we see, look at verses, chapter 1, verse 6. This is his point. He's jumping right into it. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And we see that continue this this theme throughout the book of Galatians. And so we see that the, first of all, that Paul is assuming that they should know what here? They should know the gospel. You heard it. You believed it. You know it. You're responsible for that, right? They should know the what of the gospel. They should know the true gospel, which means that they should be able to recognize what? False gospel, right? And, they're, and, and, and not just recognize it, but to act to reject the false gospel, right? That, that the, the church, that every member is supposed to be able, if you know the true gospel, that means you need to be rejecting those pretending things that would put themselves up as false gospels. Now, and this was not just to the leadership. 
You guys see that? There's nothing throughout Galatians that says, there are, well, let me start, finish my point. There's nothing in Galatians that would say, this is just for the leadership to make sure they protect their church. Now, do we see this other ways in scripture where the leadership is called to protect the church from false teaching and false gospels? Yes. So you're going to see both. You're going to see it's an every member ministry and you're going to see it's a, a leadership ministry for those that are elders. You see that in uh, Acts uh, with, with um, uh, Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. You see that, that throughout the pastorals and especially in, in, in 1 Timothy and Titus. So you see it's, it's to both. Now here's a hint and I'm going to give you a little, I'm going to show my cards a little bit here. Um, notice what Paul's doing here. Notice how Paul, is Paul himself taking the action to, to kick out these false teachers in the church? Yeah. No. What is he doing? Giving the authority to the... Yes. And not just authority, but in giving that authority, when he writes this letter, what is he doing? He's commanding, and by commanding... You see, he's teaching them how to do it. He's saying, you have the authority to reject that gospel. You know the true gospel. And he's, he's, he's walking them along in what they're supposed to be doing. In the words of Ephesians, he's equipping them to do the work of the ministry. He's equipping them to do what they are supposed to do. It's not just Paul saying, I, you, you know what, don't concern yourself with this. I know it's confusing, true gospel, false gospel. Just trust me on it. I've made the decision. No. He's helping them see, why is this a false gospel? Why do you reject? How do you reject? What are you supposed to do with this? That's what a good leader does. That's discipleship, right? That when a leader actually leads to equip the people of God to do what they are supposed to do, that's, that's good discipleship. And that's what Paul does. not To show my hands, I think that's how you put those two passages together, where every believer has authority, but, there's, but we need to be equipped to know how to do what we're supposed to, what, what, what God has called us to do. But anyways, um, and, and so we're, I, I just lost my train of thought because I'm just, anyways. All right, so, so, but that responsibility, Paul is giving that over to the church and to, to the, the members of the church to, because it's their responsibility, it's their authority to guard the gospel, as, as you guys watched the video a few weeks ago, that if the leadership doesn't do it, it doesn't mean, well, they, it was their job. It was their job to see stuff like that. I mean, what am I going to do? I didn't go to seminary. Right? No, it is every believer's job to guard the gospel. I like that, that picture that, that Mark Dever says that the congregation sometimes has to be the emergency break, saying, wait a minute, Right? Because when it comes to the gospel, notice here though, he's not talking about a disordered theology like in Titus 1. There are times where there are some things that just aren't ordered right, right? Paul said, left Timothy there to set things in order. It just wasn't quite how God wants it to be, right? There's some work to be done. There's some disordered theology. There's some disordered practice. That is different language than what's being described here. I mean, even 1 Corinthians is not this way. So you're looking at a church in 1 Corinthians that had major disorder. But it's, it's, it's those, those, but, and, and are, were they connected to the gospel? Yes, right? If, if you believe in the gospel, are you going to see unity? Yes. If you believe in the gospel, are you going to see, you know, things of, of rejection of sexual sin? Yes. But there's a difference here of the heart of the gospel. That's why it, that some of these aspects of, 
We need to know, is this a gospel issue? That's why in this class we've talked through these things of what are gospel issues? What are things that really are that, that the emergency break of this? This is a gospel issue. And trying to think really biblically about, about those things. Right? Because we, it's the responsibility for all of us to be thinking about that. We are to know the gospel. We are to know what makes up the gospel. So that we would, we would, we're not second-handers of the gospel, that someone else knows the gospel, and I just believe what they're saying about the gospel. I, I know the gospel. I trust in the gospel. I proclaim the gospel through evangelism, and I guard the gospel through rejection of false gospels. So, so there's a responsibility for the what of the gospel. Every member for the what of the gospel. Yeah. Uh, isn't really, uh, <clears throat> uh, really dependent, like in John 14 okay. and 15, if we don't have the power and surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. we can drift off into teaching wrong things. Mm-hmm. But if we depend and surrender to the Holy Spirit to give us the words of God mm-hmm. um, and you know and enable us to study mm-hmm. the Word, mm-hmm. then we can do it effectively. Yeah, you know, I I probably look at a closer parallel, right? Of of Ephesians, what is Ephesians four and Colossians three, right? Ephesians four, let the Spirit, you know, uh, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And what's the result of that? Singing hymns, spiritual songs, teaching one another, and submitting to one another. Colossians three, let the Word of Christ dwell richly within you. What is the result of that? You know, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, teaching one another, submitting to one another. So you see that that um, that there there yeah, there's this connection of of what does it mean to 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 know the word of God, to be rooted in the word of God, to have it dwelling close within us. What's it's, it's the same picture of being the, the spirit works through the word, right? Yeah. The same token, we have to go though. We have to we have to make an effort to to, to follow the the, the uh, pushings of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could have the Holy Spirit telling us things all the time, but never And a reminder that, that, that whether we feel it or not, that that authority is there from the power of the Spirit to, to, uh, yeah, to take that responsibility over the gospel. Yeah. I see this as interesting because it's a fundamental difference in a lot of religions today. Hmm. Like many years ago, I was over in Russia, and I was talking with a Russian Orthodox priest hmm. about this issue. And he said, well, as a church member, you're not allowed to even have a Bible because you don't have the authority to understand hmm. it. Only the priests do. Yeah. And I thought... Are you reading the same Bible? That, yeah. <laughs> you must have a different gospel. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, and, and also, too, uh, some <clears throat> some Mormons stopped by my house the other day, and we got into this discussion, and, and it was the same kind of concept. Yeah. This 21-year-old kid introduced himself as elder so-and-so. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Very interesting, that uh, um, concept, an idea. And it's, thank you for clearing it up. Yeah. It's brought a whole new meaning to the well, good. Yeah, yeah, and and praise God, and that's that's really this idea of that we are we're responsible for the what. So so one of the things, what does it look? What does our job description look like as church members? We're going to be responsible for the what of the gospel. Again, leaders should be equipping the saints to do that ministry, do that work. But it's every person that's responsible for that proclamation of the gospel, for the guarding of the gospel. And then we got a couple minutes. Let me let me let's let's look here because uh, I want to be able to get to to where you're going to be at the video next week. All right, we also see a priest, this other priestly ministry of the, of the inward ministry of a, of a of a of a caring for the holiness of God's people. Right? 
Do we see that in the New Testament where every person in the church, every member is called to, to cultivate, the, the, to watch after the holiness of God's people, to, to watch after God's people, to, 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 to bring the sanctification of God's people? We see that too in the New Testament, right? Um, look real quick at Matthew 18, again, because we spent a lot of time in there. We've, we've been there a couple different times, so I'm not going to even read the whole section. We, we covered this several weeks ago on this idea of church discipline, but I want to now take this bird's eye view and think through this here, right? Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Who is Jesus giving direction to here? Pastors? Elders? Who? Every, every believer, right? Anyone who who's has a brother in the body of Christ, Right? into the direction to confront unrepentant sin, that there'd either be repentance or excommunication. And then finally, who has the authority to exercise that church discipline there at the end? Verse 18. I think it's 18, right? Uh, verse 17. To the, tell it to the church, right? That, that, and that's building on this idea of Matthew 16, we've said, that it's not just that the church, the church is built not just on the right profession of the gospel, but the right professors of the gospel. People like Peter, right? We're saying, these, yes, this person is like Peter. No, this person is not like Peter. They're not having the right gospel of repentance, right? But then here's where we stopped a few weeks ago. Look at verse 19. How, what do you do with verse 19? If you don't see this in the context of the church, what do you do with verse 19? Verse 19, again, Interesting. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Is this a prayer verse? Is this a, what kind of verse is this? Think of the context. What's the first word of the sentence? What links? What's the linking word? What's the, the word there? Again. What, what does again mean? If I said again, it should make you think what? He's repeating. Repeating? Yeah. Right? So, so you can't just take this verse out and go, this is a great bumper sticker verse right here, right? It, it is in context. It makes you think, what did he just say? What did he just say? So if we were to ask some of the questions, right, about who are these two or three, we'd have to say, what has he been talking about? In verse 16, we see these two and three witnesses. And then the argument progresses from there. And then we see this, 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 this group of at least two or three in the context of the church as a whole, that those are the ones agreeing. You guys see that? Those are the ones agreeing in context. That's the again. They're agreeing and calling for God's help to repentance. That's what, that's what this verse is about in context. Then what do you do in verse 20 in context? Is this a prayer meeting verse? Not in context. What's the first, first word of verse 20? For. Ah, because. What is, when I, if someone says for or because, what does that make you look? It makes you look before again, right? I'm doing this because. I mean, you don't just have someone up, walk up to you and say, because it's sunny. All right. Sure. Right. I'm going to go to the park because it's sunny. Oh, that makes more sense, right? You got to look to the, the, what it's pointing to. Well, what is this pointing to? For, right? For is the reason it's looking back to this previous context. So who are the two or three gathering in my name? It's those in context, the two or three that were the witnesses coming together with the church. This is not about a prayer meeting. Now, 
do we experience God's presence in prayer when we gather in prayer meetings? Yes. But this verse is not about prayer meetings, right? It's, it's, it's about the church gathering and this process of church discipline. And by the way, is God's present with you when you're praying without two or three? Yeah. I shall never, never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you very, surely to the very end of the age, right? So the context of this verse is not about God saying, if you've got two or three, I'll show up. Eh, if you don't got two or three, I got other things to do. I am God. That's, that's, it's not about God contributing his presence. It's about God verifying his presence, right? We're not getting more of God when we gather together, but he's confirming his presence when the church gathers to represent the gospel when they do this act of church discipline and restoration. They're saying, we are declaring the truth of who is, is, is representing the gospel. And God says, yes. Yes. That when the church acts in his name according to his gospel, that is verifying his presence in that declaration about the who of the gospel. That's the context of those verses. The idea that, 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 you know, that, that God answers prayer, the idea that God's with us in prayer, those aren't untrue. It's just not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the church making a declaration of who is part of, who believes the gospel, who is representing the gospel, the who of the gospel. We see the same thing in 1 Corinthians 5. We won't turn there. But, but Paul says, when you're assembled, right? They're going to do church discipline. It's when you're assembled, when the church is assembled together. Again, note, Paul does not take the acts of church discipline himself, he teaches them to do what they're supposed to do. As a leader, he equips the saints to do their work of, of, of guarding the who and representing the who of the gospel. Right? The whole church assembled. This, the, 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 you, can, you can take, as I've said before, with, you can take someone off the church's spreadsheet of membership. The elders can make a declaration of church discipline in a secret meeting. But it's not what the Bible's talking. The Bible's talking about what church discipline is. It's not, a, it's not an Excel sheet change. It's a fellowship change. And that can't happen without the work of the church. Equipping the church to do and calling that, that, that brother to repentance. And then look real quick, real quick. Just because, just for Judy here. 2 Corinthians and for everybody else. But for 2 Corinthians 2. We talked about voting. Where do some people get the idea of Voting. Some people want to point to 2 Corinthians 2. I disagree with them, but that's where they'd point. 2 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8, talks about this. There's someone who was excommunicated from the church, and they're supposed to bring him back into fellowship. He's repentant. He's sorry. He wants to bring him back into fellowship, and Paul's writing to the church to do this. It might be the same person. I think it was the same person as 1 Corinthians. It might not be. He doesn't say. Look at verse 6. Uh, I'll start at verse five. For if anyone has caused pain, has caused it not to me, but in some measure to not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, that's punishment by the majority. We'll get back to that is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you, reaffirm your love for him. Right? There's this receiving back. This person's repented. Bring him back into membership. Right? So, and what is the punishment? He was removed from fellowship. Now, some would say, see, it's a majority. Majority means vote. Ah, it could. I don't think a vote is wrong. Again, I think churches who vote, I don't think that's wrong. I would say to say that 
Is what Paul's talking about here? I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think majority does say that if you have a majority of the church, you have to have some understanding of who's part of the church. I understand. I, I agree there. But to say there's a formal vote, he's not saying that the, 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 this, this punishment necessarily was, was the vote, right? The vote is some sort of vote, some sort of declaration is not church discipline. Church discipline that calls to repentance is a change in fellowship. It's a change in relationship, Right? It's not just about some declaration that's made. Declaration is not going to bring about repentance. A change in relationship that brings about repentance. So I, I think I think reading a vote in here, I think it's I, I, sure you can vote. I don't think it's necessitated by the. I think it's I think it's a proof text. But what you do see here is that the whole church is involved, both in 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 the affirmation of the who the gospel of that person is not living like a believer because they're unrepentant and and also the whole church is to be re- involved in the reaffirmation and bringing them back into Philip saying they've re- they've repented we're bringing them back in not just the elders are adding them back to the spreadsheet not that the elders have declared so in their minutes but that the whole church is is wrapping their arms around them to to, to welcome them back into fellowship it's a every member whole church action and so the, the whole church is involved in the who of the gospel, right? Every believer is responsible for the who of the gospel. Who are the right gospel professors? Who are we going to live out and binding to our fellowship? It doesn't have to be a vote. You can have a vote. You can have not a vote. It doesn't matter if you vote or not. The, the, the point of the vote is, or if you do vote, is that the church would actually do that. How are, we, how are we as a church wrapping our arms around those we are bringing into fellowship, whether through membership or restoration, and then we also, we, we declare the who of the gospel, who are not living as gospel confessors, who are not in, in repentance. And, 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 and we have to, to live in a different way in a relationship with them through church discipline. But then, and again, we just don't have time. I'm going to sum this up so we can get to the video next week. It's not just about membership and discipline. We've seen throughout the New Testament that who is responsible to build up, one, to, to, build, oh, I see it to build up the body? One another. Who is given spiritual gifts to sanctify the body? Everyone, right? If you have the Spirit, then you are needed in the body of Christ to bring about full maturity, Ephesians 4 says, to bring about sanctification, to bring about holiness. I need you and you need me. It is an every member ministry. You see all these one another passages that, that who is called to care for the people in the church? It's not just pastors. It's not just elders. It's not just deacons. It's not just deaconesses. They're called to equip the people for the saints for the work of the ministry. We are called to care for one another. Right? We are the church. We are the ones who care for, for, for one another. And so let me sum this up. So every believer is responsible for the what and the who of the gospel. What, what are the job description of, of, a, of a member of the church? I would say it's, it's to be responsible for the what and the who of the gospel. You're responsible to, to declare the gospel, to know the gospel, to protect the gospel, the what, the message that, of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're called to care for the who of the gospel. You've committed yourself to love the who, the, the, the people of God, to watch over them, to care for them, to protect them, to serve them, to use your gifts to serve them, to, to love them in membership and to call them to repentance uh, when they're unrepentant through church discipline. We've seen all this before, but I'm putting this in this framework of this is all of our jobs. This is what it looks like to be a church member. That's the answer to the question. The point is that the ministry outside the church and the ministry inside the church is not just for leaders. It's an every member ministry because we are all royal priests. That's our job description. And then we have that last puzzle piece. How do we this relate to leadership? 
Okay, every member is responsible, then why do we have a pastor? Right? And, and, and I've given you some hints. I mean, you can see where I'm going, I think, in this here. And the, and the video, I think, is going to help. And I think Mark Dever and his church is, 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 is good, has a, a hand on what the biblical teaching is. I think he's going to be helpful in this discussion. And then we'll pick it up in, in, in two weeks. And so, all right. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word and how stimulating it is. And, and, and we thank you, Lord, though, that it's not just an intellectual exercise, but, Lord, you would desire for us to know you, to know your ways, that we may, we may walk in those ways, that we may follow in those ways, that when you tell us of, of the authority that you've given us, that we would not just, just intellectually acknowledge that, but that we live that out as, as we take responsibility for the what and the who of the gospel, and that we would do this for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.